the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It's a delight to do so with my good friend Sam Stone in studio. Nice to see you, Sammy. Seth, it's always a pleasure, unless, of course, today you happen to be a white woman who wants to pretend to be Native American. Yeah, I want to get to that. Let me give you a proper introduction here first. Sam Stone is a political consultant in town, host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds, and um, is uh, is just... uh, been doing his best when he's in town to finish our Thursday afternoons with us. And on a day like today, just such a monumentally pregnant day of import. Um, I couldn't wait to see you, Sam. Make your point about how hard it is for people at Harvard now. Yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult. I, I, I saw earlier today Elizabeth Warren tweeting about this issue, and I really understood and felt her pain, you know, because it really... What is going to happen to all the white Karens of the world when they can no longer pretend to be uh, Native American and go to Harvard? Now, you, do have to, you did have to be a little careful in the past uh, because if you made the mistake of saying you were an Indian, that would actually lower your chances, right? Right. Uh, definitely that would be Asian. Right. Yeah. Definitely didn't want to be Japanese. Right. Right. You know, you're, you're totally hosed at that point. Right. Uh, literally her tweeting about it, I, I almost started – I really did start laughing at my computer by myself sitting in a room because of all the people to be tweeting about this issue, this shows how how bent out of shape the entire uh, entire affirmative action program was. Here's this, this woman who would not have gotten a job at Harvard. Her entire career in politics in the U.S. Senate, her entire life – is based off of her lying to Harvard about her ethnic background. Let me uh, put a fine point on this. So she tweets, an extremist Supreme Court has once again reversed decades of settled law, rolled back the march toward racial justice and narrowed educational opportunity for all. I won't stop fighting for young people with big dreams who deserve an equal chance to pursue their future. She took that equal chance from someone to be a teacher at Harvard, and she narrowed the educational opportunity of people who presumably would have gotten the slot that was reserved for her under an affirmative action regime. We know she's lying, and we know she got she was an affirmative action choice, and I'll tell you how we know. Her educational background was the University of Houston and Rutgers. You look at the Harvard Law faculty, that is not what the Harvard Law faculty's CV usually says. Houston and the and we have her card that says American Indian, and she was not an American Indian. She took that opportunity not only from someone who might have been or was but from the students who would theoretically, if we believe in this sort of thing, have benefited from it. She should have, ta- she should have taken today off. Yeah, no, she needed to just sit down and go home today. Sit this one of out. all of the people right. who were involved in this fight, I loved Justice Thomas's takedown of Katani Brown Jackson's, no. uh, Justice Brown Jackson's diatribe and what she wrote. Um, I mean, look, anyway, literally the left is saying today, that Clarence Thomas's kid is disadvantaged. Right. 
I mean, that's literally where we're at with this, right? Of course it is. Um, you know, if, if skin color is the defining marker of whether you're advantaged or disadvantaged, then Clarence – The Obama kids are disadvantaged. Then the Obama kids are disadvantaged. Right. Clarence Thomas's kid is disadvantaged. You know, I think, I think in any honest moment, Barack Obama would probably be the first one to tell you that the biggest challenge he's had in raising his children has been trying to keep them from being too advantaged Correct. throughout that's their exactly childhood. Right. That's exactly like right. Like all the children of power, that's the struggle. It's certainly not the other way around. Um, and as uh, Justice Thomas wrote and, – and kudos, by the way, to Justice Thomas who continues to step up more and more and more and be a stronger and stronger legal – uh, legal mind on the court, really helping guide the court. Um, you know, he t- he took it out perfectly in his in his uh, comments on it, saying, "Look, there's a million ways you can account for actual disadvantage that don't have to do with race. In other words, we can look at things like." Whether this person has had parents who were, you know, it, were they sick their whole lives and the kid had to raise themselves? Uh, was this a kid who had to struggle with extreme poverty? Extreme poverty is the real defining issue in terms of advantage or disadvantage, right? Absolutely. And, and I, I'm specifically saying extreme poverty because if you're, you know, lower middle class, that, I, that honestly doesn't count. Like, you know. Um, but if you're if you grew up in extreme poverty and you ground your way out of that to be able to be considered for, as a candidate for Harvard, yeah, you should get extra consideration sure. for that, right? Sure. But, and it's not an immutable characteristic either. No, that's 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 the difference. that's the difference. Yeah. It's not an immutable characteristic. It's something you can change or can change. That's right. And and over and over and over, what we have seen in America. One of my my favorite things, both today and and as this you know sort of racial discussion that's overtaken this country the last few years has gone on, is like all these pro athletes, right, who keep stepping into this and you know demanding sort of preferential treatment. I'm not a fan. I, I'm guessing you're probably not of LeBron James. No. But here's the one thing I can say with absolute certainty about LeBron James in a, in a positive way. That man worked his butt off yes, every single day. Yes, that's the problem. That's exactly, that's exactly the problem. I, it took me back to a moment. You remember circa 1998, there was this national conversation about race that Bill Clinton was holding town halls on. Yes. Town hall conferences, a national discussion on race. And I remember – do you remember the scholar, conservative scholar um, named Abigail Thernstrom, Abby Thernstrom? She was a critic of affirmative action or race-based affirmative action. She was sitting in the front row of one of these things deliberately. And Bill Clinton and she started getting into it and she said there was in her mind no reason to use a racial categorization to give people affirmative action. And Bill Clinton said, well, try telling that then to Colin Powell. How do you think he'd feel about what you – just said, which immediately made me think, he never went on record, it immediately made me think that this is precisely the problem with race-based affirmative action. Colin Powell, who two years prior, people were talking about nominating for president, just got reduced through all of his accomplishments to being in his job solely because of the color of his skin. This is the permanent stigma of questionable competence that Shelby Steele wrote about. No, that's exactly right. And and look, this is the this is a major issue in so much that's going on with the left today is they have a very negative. They are clear 
that they have a very negative view of African-Americans, that they view African-Americans and to a lesser extent Hispanics uh, as being people that need to be taken care of by white people. As people who cannot succeed in this country or any country, I'm looking at a tweet from Erica Marsh. Big Democratic Party consultant, white woman, hundred you know who she is, 127,000 followers. Today's Supreme Court decision is a direct attack on black people. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system, which is exactly why affirmative action-based programs were needed. Today's decision is a travesty. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system? Is that to make us think that every black person who has succeeded didn't get there by dint of their merit and hard work? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it is. You realize how paternalistically racist that is? Oh, it is unbelievably racist. And I used to call it soft racism, the, you know, the soft racism of low expectations. It is not soft. There's nothing soft about it. That's right. It is the most pernicious form of racism because you can pat your they, – they run around patting themselves on the back for their enlightenment right. while they are being overtly awful racists mm-hmm. to every person of color in this country. Yes. And the, the, the people of color who are jumping on this bandwagon – are doing so for their own benefit, not the benefit of their bro- of their people more broadly. Because at the end of the day, for instance, years ago, I, I saw a Larry Elder tweet said, "Hey, years ago when we got we managed to push this stuff out of the University of California system, the graduation rates for blacks in California shot up. Right, because right? they weren't being put into situations and 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 academies where they could not succeed because they were designed and set to fail. And given we the got, cost, we lowered the dropout rate right. and increase the graduation and rate the, of minorities. Given the cost yes. of university education, right. when you're putting somebody who's unprepared to graduate, who right. isn't going to get through, and they're going to come out of there in two years with thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in right. debt, right. you are absolutely putting a bullet in their dreams. Right. I mean, that's what you're exactly doing. Right. You exactly are right. really doing huge permanent harm to that person. And, you know, first, this is this is this entire discussion on the left just makes me sick. But secondly, I would I want to see I know people are cheering the court, but I want to see more eloquent defenses like we are talking about here from our side, because I think we're failing at this moment really to do what we need to do and reach out to people and have them understand we're not the racist. We don't believe you can't succeed. We believe in you. We believe in all of you. Yeah. Look at look at the dissent that thinks you can't succeed. Right. I mean, excuse me. Look at the dissent from this opinion that thinks you, you can't see, succeed. Look at these Democratic operatives. Look at what these college administrators and college presidents are saying in all their wailing today. They're talking about how it's going to be devastating for admitting minorities into their schools. Why? That's right. their job. Why are why what systemic racism exists in your institution that is going to keep people from a different color skin than you out of let me the, take the break and yeah. come right back. Let's do that. I got something else. Okay. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. I, I'm sorry if I got my Irish up a little bit. It, it's by dint of my producer. Not- my producer has been fraying my nerves today. He's he's recalcitrant. He's contumacious. He's refractory. And he's been on my anyway. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sam. <laughs> I, I'm not sorry because honestly, I'm really fired up about this. I think, you know, you know, and, and I think I mentioned here on the air that my background is Jewish. My family uh, 
you know, my father grew up in the Depression. He was there. Our family was incredibly poor. I mean, they they piled into a, a broken down car and moved to California so that my grandfather could find migrant work on the docks and fields uh, during the Great Depression. And, you know, look, it, to, to say that there has not been massive discrimination in this country throughout its history against Asians, uh, especially here in Arizona, where we, we have the the you know, concentration yes, camps yes, right. still left over um, is ridiculous. And yet they've succeeded. Jewish people faced tremendous racism in this country and succeeded. Almost every group that's come to this country has faced some sort of adversity and succeeded. And the path to do it has been through hard work, education and community family values. Stick together, work hard, you know, build your family build your life, and lifted their entire race out of poverty. And we're seeing that now with the Mexican-American and Latino populations in this country. We are seeing that very clearly once again. The only population that hasn't moved forward, and it was moving, it was moving really well in the 50s, the 60s, and the early 70s, is the black population. And I, I feel that they have been completely betrayed and stymied into this sort of long-term dependency by these leftist racists who don't believe in them. This is uh, a thesis well written up by people like Bob Woodson, of formerly, now of the Woodson Center, formerly of the uh, National um, uh, Neighborhood Enterprise Project. Uh, this is uh, the work of um, Thomas Sowell. This is the work of Shelby Steele, and Larry Elder has written a lot about this, as well as Wilford Riley, that the welfare, uh, the welfare reforms uh, in the Great Society plunged, um, plunged the African-American family into dependency. The marriage rates at, at certain points throughout the 40s and 50s even were higher than the white rates of marriage, and the absence of fathers – uh, in that community has, yes, it has dev- devastated a community that, um, as Jason Riley at the Wall Street Journal says, please stop helping us because well, it's it's not help. What well, you are doing, throwing money at us and endowing fatherlessness, paying in a welfare scheme where you only get money if you're not married, is incentivizing the very problem that we are trying to overcome. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, historically, uh, family value, family first focus is a financial imperative historically throughout human history, that people who really believed in that and did everything they could to support their families and build them up have succeeded very well. Historically, the the image of the, you know, the lone male playboy, if you will, we, you know, we, we literally reserve that for the, you know, the, the rich playboy, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of, set, you know, satire of that person. We see them all over the place today. Um we took that and moved it to the bottom of the economic scale right. where the damage from it is right. far, far worse right. because they, those resources of being rich in the first place aren't there, right? right. Um, you know, so instead of slowly tearing something down like almost all the rich playboys over time have done and, and wasted a fortune, you have people who are prevented from ever acquiring right. a fortune right. uh, instead because of this. And it is absolutely pernicious what has happened. We've spent trillions of dollars in these anti-poverty programs. $25 trillion since Lyndon Johnson was president. Think that number over. $25 trillion. $25 trillion. It's, I mean, 
it's an extraordinary amount. The, the only people we're really helping are the bureaucrats. And to tie into this, there's a real reason that affirmative action and all of these things, whether it's affirmative action, DEI, all of this ha- are really popular with bureaucracy because they're a call to expand bureaucracy. That's exactly right. Right? So – if you have a DEI department, yes. in whether it's, it's a full in your, employment opportunity for right. for an industry that didn't exist and doesn't need to exist. Also, though, it is a total indictment of your of HR department. That's the point of the college presidents I'm trying to make. Yes. What institutional racism exists in your company that you have to lecture people and have training seminars on how not to be a racist in this company or in this school. Why are college presidents saying we will now not be able to admit persons of color or minorities at the rate we were? Why? Why won't you? What is it about your school that keeps minorities down or out? In this case, for them, it's very clearly that, you know, there is in academia a little bit of an interesting line there, right? Because they're they're saying, well, if we don't if we don't lower our dramatically lower our standards for one group of people, we can't admit those group, those people. Now, we know that those. Well, then fine. Work it up from the K through 12. That's where that's where the action needs to happen. You know, look, if you want to really help people, one of the things that. A big fight in this state, obviously around ESAs with the governor and all the Democrats lined up against ESAs. Well, one of the things you can do with ESA money is use it for private tutoring. Right. Yes. Yes. That's one of the things. Right. And and I've heard from numerous parents who have said their kids fell behind during the pandemic and they use that money to help move them forward and get them caught back up. Right. So it's you know, we know that there are things that work. Mm -hmm. That the government can help with, mm-hmm. but then there are things that don't. That's and right. the things that don't are the things that come with a handout. The things that work are the things that say, well, if you come and make this effort, we're going to help you get over the hump. There's a million things in K-12 that we could do to make things work better for uh, per- per- persons of color or anyone who's under Start with phonics. But start with a- phonics. Start with actually demanding a little bit of homework. Start with actually demanding a little bit of the standards so you don't keep passing on, expecting the next grade to cover what you couldn't cover in the grade prior. How about not closing schools for a year and a half? How about putting the money that you have spent in such things as uh, as the CARES Act actually into the classroom rather than into the retirement systems of the teachers' unions? Right. How about any number of things? How about teacher merit pay so that we get the best teachers into these classrooms and pay them a lot of money because yeah. the best teachers deserve it and getting rid of the 10% of the workforce that's dragging it down? There's a million things you could do. The teachers' unions stand in the way of all of that and the people of color and others who don't achieve, pay the price. Well, the, the charter school system shows a perfect example of how to do things in a way that makes sense, right, versus yes. public schools. Because they actually have fewer dollars per student for right. a charter than right. they do for a brick-and-mortar government school. And yet their results, right. even with the exact same population. Right. So if you put a charter school, right. for instance, Basis has moved a charter school into a very poor population, right? right? Those kids are not achieving to exactly the same level that kids at some of the other basis schools are, but they're achieving way over their peers Mm -hmm. in that demographic and in that area. And the the result is very clear. When you give kids opportunity, when you give people opportunity to better themselves, they can do it. And how about teaching them that they can do it rather than teaching teaching them them that they can't? Right. Exactly. Sam, you're so on point. Um, let's take a quick commercial break and come back. I want to talk about something Katanji Brown Jackson did say in her dissent that is maddening. Sam Stone and I will be right back.
Sam Stone is my guest. Welcome back. He uh, has his own radio show here every Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds, and um, political consultant in town. Follow him on Twitter. Great Twitter feed, at Sam the Paul, P-O-L. Do you say Paul or Paul? Uh, Paul. But just I spell it just so people don't misspell it. Right. P-O-L. Sam the Paul, not P-A-U-L, P-O-L. Short for politics aficionado. Sam Politico, take your pick. Yeah, Politico... Yes. And maybe future politician even. You know, who knows? I I mean, I'm not throwing away the idea of running again by any means. I'm not jumping feet first back into it just yet. We could use you. Um, Yeah. Boy, I'm sorry. No, that's what's egotistical, I know what you meant. I know know how you meant it. It wasn't really meant for me. I know what you meant. Yeah, we we need some good conservatives. Yeah, you know, I mean, so like, for instance, today, or actually a couple of days ago, news came out, Phoenix is going to be creating a homeless court. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Look, I I love the idea. I think that has tremendous potential, right? The question is, when I read through it, that, you know, half the staff for it are social workers. Mm -hmm. And the problem is the the field of social work today embraces the philosophy that we've talked about on this program a lot of enabling chronic street homelessness and not treating it. So my concern is this court becomes a way just to throw away, you know, the concerns of the public and, and sort of just add another layer of bureaucracy to the exact same system. Um, I would love to be there right now because I would have voted to implement it, but then I would have spent the next four years all over it, making sure that it was there, helping people get off the streets and rehabilitating them rather than enabling. uh, The thing with all these jobs, DEI, all that kind of stuff you're just describing, the human resources things, the key in a sane society would be that they would want to put themselves out of business. They would well, want to reduce their caseload. There was this old Ali G show. Do you remember the Ali G show? This sure, was, what yeah. was that actor's name? Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah. I think. And he would f- fool big names to interview with him. It's a whole other story. But I remember when he had Gingrich on, and they were t- Gingrich. Was, he said to Gingrich, "What was his greatest accomplishment in Congress?" He said, "Welfare reform. We cut the rules fifty percent." And Ali G goes, "You cut the rules fifty percent? You call that a success?" And, you know, he was mm-hmm. and, and he got Gingrich really confused because LHG was making the point. If, if you're trying to help welfare, why would you want less people on it? You see that you see the warped thinking. Right. But it is not warped thinking. That is the thinking of today's liberal edifice, liberal left wing edifice of dependency. They don't want less. They actually think success is serving more. And to serve more, you have to have more. And to have more, you have to engender more of it and indeed end up creating more. There, There is an underlying egotistical discrimination at play in almost everything the left is doing. Right. I mean, really, when you look at it, it's this belief that we know better than all of you and we need to have more control over your lives. And by doing that, by dictating every element of society, society will succeed. It The, the unabashed ego of that, mm-hmm. the arrogance of it, is what's driving the modern left right now. Sure. Um, Why do you think they say to the parents, they're not your kids, they're our kids? Right. No, it's it's over and over and over. I'm just trying to interpose itself between the parent and the child on, on, on the most serious of issues. I really believe this is the fundamental attitude underlying every yep. Democrat policy of the Eternalism. modern era. Yes. Yeah. Let me tell you something that Katanji Brown-Jackson wrote, and it could have been written by Ibram Kendi. It could have been written by Robin DeAngelo. It would never have been accepted by anyone who called themselves a civil rights activist 30 years ago or earlier. 
She writes, if the colleges of this country are required to ignore a thing that matters, race, a thing that matters, race, it will not just go away. It will take longer for racism to leave us. And ultimately, ignoring race just makes it matter more. This is the new theory that Kendi and Robin DeAngelo have foisted upon us that uh, colorblindness is racism. Well, in Ketanji Brown-Jackson's case, though, she would not be a Supreme Court justice without affirmative action. I mean, you know, pure and simple. She was chosen because she was a black female. She was chosen from... Biden told us that. Right, from the pool He said, I am picking a black... My choice will be a black female. Um, Now, it's possible she could have not been, but we are left with the conclusion that she is... Because that's how they made the decision. So I will never be and bragged able, about it. Yeah, yeah. I'll never be able to look at her or Soda Sona, Soda, Sonia. Sonia Sotomayor and see an equal to the other justices because they were brought in for mute, immutable characteristics that what, yeah, that ahead. that dictated that they wanted a woman, they wanted a Hispanic, they wanted a black woman rather than a great jurist. It's just the best line in the world from Shelby Steele. Permanent stigma of questionable competence. Right. We'll be right back. Sam Stone is my guest. I wanted to shift to something I thought really interesting because I know Sam will have an insight on it. For all the talk that uh, Joe Biden brought to the campaign in 2019 and 2020, about healing the divides in America, bringing mm-hmm. us back together. He kind of ran on a bring us together um, platform, or at least rhetorical platform, a well, less they, divisive they, I mean, nation. The, the, right? the, the purposeful campaign that they ran, the advertising yeah. Yeah. campaign and all that sort of thing. We're and, too divided. He was going to Yeah, and, and right. very limited, obviously. He ran the basement campaign. Yeah. He was very limited. But that was the pitch. That was question. the pitch. That was the pitch. And he has, since he's become president, called the Republican Party the party of Bull Connor. He has called the party the party of Jefferson Davis. He has called us extremists. He has called us existential threats to the Constitution. So that was his idea of, of, of uniting us, I guess. But Robert Kennedy Jr. was on an interview yesterday with News Nation. Uh-huh. And I just thought this was so damn interesting. And I'd like to play it for you in the audience uh, if you haven't heard it. Bear with me. It's a, it's a moment or two of audio. Say that you're a Democrat, um, but you're getting a lot of support from a, a lot of leading voices on the right, like Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, former President Donald Trump. Many Democrats fear that you're a spoiler in the race, that you will damage President Biden in the primary and grease the skids for former President Trump to return to the Oval Office. This week, former President Trump said about you... Kennedy is smart, and he's a common-sense guy. What kind of man do you think Donald Trump is? Well, you know, here's what I'm not going to do in this race. I'm not going to attack other people personally. I don't think it's good for our country. And I think, you know, what I'm trying to do in this race is bring people together, is to try to bridge the divide between Americans. And guess what? The... You know, when my dad died and we took this train ride from, you know, this seven and a half hour train ride that was supposed to be two hours. I brought his I was with him when he died in Los Angeles. And then we brought his body from uh, from New York 
Penn Station to Union Station and Washington, D.C. And there were, there were, it was a two and a half hour ride, but it took seven and a half hours because there were two and a half million people on that train track. And, and it was the cross-section of America and all of the major urban stations in Trenton, Newark, uh, uh, Wilmington and Baltimore, there were black Americans singing Battle Hymn of the Republic. There were whites on the, in the rural areas. Who, love, who are holding up signs, goodbye, Bobby, pray for us, Bobby, American flag, standing, saluting. Four years later, and they have supported my father in the primaries in 1968. Four years later, in 1972, they were not supporting my father, and they were not, support, they were not supporting George McGovern, who was aligned with my father on all these issues. Instead, the vast majority of them were supporting George Wallace. And, you know... There, my father was able to harness these populist energies. In the last day of his life, he won the most rural state in this country, South Dakota, and the most urban. He was able to bridge the divide among people who would otherwise be Republican, but wanted somebody who was common sense, who was able to appeal to their idealism, who was able to find the hero in each of them, who was able to get them to transcend narrow self-interest, and see themselves as part of a community and part of this, you know, incredible American adventure in, in modeling self-governance for the rest of the world. And so I'm proud that President Trump likes me, even though I don't agree with him on most of his issues, I'm, because I don't want to alienate people. I want to bring people together. I'm proud that all these people like me and that I have independent supporters and Democratic supporters. You take the point. Boy. There's a lot about that. There's a, Look, lot, there, about there's that. a lot about that. Um, I mean, I, I agree 100% with what he's saying and what he's trying to do. And Kennedy is exactly the kind of um, outsider, you know, maybe marginal, marginal candidate that I actually really, really appreciate having in races because he's here for issues. He's here talking about very specific things that matter a lot to him. Refuses to criticize anyone. Refuses to criticize anyone. And he's really focused on forwarding those issues in the public debate. And I think they are worthy. Even if even the doctors who are just saying no because of his questions on vaccines – do I think he goes too far in that area? Yes, I do. However, I think he's also bringing up questions that are worth asking because I don't think most Americans are aware that we've gone from like 10 shots when I was a kid to like 43 now, you know, in those first couple of years. And so so now those questions become more legitimate. And, and I think he's bringing forward some things there. But here's the other part to this. If I were Trump and I were him. I would be very careful not to criticize each other at all because I think that uh, a Trump-Kennedy ticket is the only way Trump gets back to the White House. No kidding. I do. I've The more these last few weeks, Trump is going to lose a portion of the Republican Party. Okay. If he's the nominee, it's been made very clear, and I, I find this abhorrent given how bad Biden and the Democrats are, that there is a portion of the Republican Party that will not come around and vote for him. And likewise, I find it abhorrent that the Trump supporters saying if it's anyone but Trump, they're staying home. Mm -hmm. But I think that does create the case that it's almost certain that there's going to be a portion of Republican voters who are not voting or not voting on the presidency. And so for Trump to win, he's you know, he already is damaged with independence in in a significant aspect. A guy like Kennedy is the kind of guy who could bridge gaps that Trump can no longer bridge. Trump was bridging those in his first campaign, and the press realized they gave him 
room, right? They they gave him a platform. They didn't just dump on him 24-7, and he bridged a gap, and he got Democrats to cross the line. He got voters who hadn't voted to come out. He got African Americans to vote for him in higher percentages than had come out in years. Hispanics he made ground with. All these things. Kennedy offers the opportunity to cross lines like that again. And I actually think right now that that would be the best opportunity for Donald Trump and Kennedy to advance themselves. I have to think about how that works, but it does make me think about one untruth about Donald Trump that is shared by his most ardent supporters as well as the entirety of the left, which is that he is an intuitively hard right conservative. Mm -hmm. He is not. No, not at all. He is a effectively pragmatic you can see over the course of his career his landing on different issues who got himself surrounded by the right people to get a very conservative administration but he is not intuitively conservative well, it's it's one of the would, reasons which would say to you know to, which would say to your thing someone like a kennedy with him at least in his own intellectual firmament might make its own sense it's one of the reasons in 2016 he had broader Correct. reach than people expected Correct. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I personally didn't come around to be supporting him until very near the end of the primary. And it's not because I, I hate Donald Trump. It's simply because I didn't believe that he would govern as conservatively as he did. I felt like we would beat Hillary Clinton with any number of nominees. And I wanted the most conservative person I could lay my hands on to do that. Um, but at the end of the day, he governed very, very conservatively, but he is not himself a hard right conservative. Right. Right. You're right. He is. He's, he's very he's, much he's a pragmatist. conservative, but he's not a conservative. Right. Right. Let me uh, take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing thoughts. Sam and I will be right back. When you look around at the economy from stock markets to volatility to the bank failures, talk of the recession to come, and inflation that is anything but transitory, you ask yourself, where do I go to invest? Well, our friends at Y-Refi have an investment for you. It's in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, compound it, whatever you like with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in the secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, which is headquartered here locally. I, like they, encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch. Sam's been there, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, though, you will see why we like and trust them so much, and you can, too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. And you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a ten point two five percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at eight 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 Yrefi thirty four. Sam Stone has been my guest this hour. Thanks for doing this hour with me, Sam. You know why I yeah. like Yrefi, Seth? Because at its heart, you're talking about uh, the the ultimate basic form of capitalism. You have one person with a need. One person with an opportunity coming together to help each other. And by the way, as we're talking about all this affirmative action stuff, this is what's missing from the entire concept of the left when it comes to 
bringing up people who are living in poverty now is the idea that those people shouldn't be working to help themselves, where one person with a need is connected with one person with an opportunity. So, for instance, we have a lot of seniors who don't have enough to do, who need more mental stimulation in their lives. Well, why aren't we, rather than all this other crazy stuff, why aren't we loading every library and every school with these seniors right. to work as tutors right. one-on-one with, with children? Oh, my gosh. It would be such a great idea. No, I mean, this is such when, when you look at it, and you and I have talked about this a little bit before, but the two greatest forces for good and probably the history of the world are Christianity and capitalism. And what do those two have in common? It says that I, I may be Jewish, but I've read the Bible. There are tons of parables in the Bible about people who work hard, mm-hmm. who find the strength in themselves to better themselves, and then to help all those around them. And, you know, this is the, this is the center to me of Christianity. And it is what is missing from the Democrat Party in spades right now. They just do not understand the concept that you don't need government. People can help people. You know what, Sam? I'm not going to improve on that. I'm not going to say another word. I'm going to leave it right there, and thank you for that. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Sam Stone. Until tomorrow, he's David Dahl, my producer, until he does something else. He's, he's, he's hanging by producer, a very thin thread. Producer, director, guy with he's a noise He's hanging maker. by a very thin thread. He's hanging by cobwebs today. after today. I'm going to say uh, until tomorrow, God bless you all. I kid. And class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.